I'd love for you to turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 56. Is, uh, it is such a joy to be with you. Um, I feel like it's something of a family reunion, so many familiar faces and friendships. Uh, according to uh, Jeff Horn's math, with I, which I trust because he's an accountant, uh, I, this is our eighth, my eighth visit here over the years. So it's such a privilege to bring the Word of God to you this morning. While you're turning to Psalm 56, I want to ask you a question. Have you noticed that we are a very anxious generation? We are a fearful culture. In fact, um, back in my hometown in Southern California, there's a a university, and every year they do an annual study, kind of kind of weird study, and it is the "What Are Americans Most Fearful Of?" study. Interesting, isn't it? You're wondering what your neighbors are fearful of. Uh, You can read the article. You can find it online. I just want to give you. The, the top five things that Americans are fearful of in 2023. This study was just done at the, uh, back in October, November of last year. Number five, the, the fifth most fearful thing is people I love becoming seriously ill. And we say, okay, that makes sense. Number four, the U.S. becoming involved in another world war. Number three, Russia using nuclear weapons. Uh, number two, is um, economic or financial collapse. And the number one thing that Americans are fearful of, corrupt government officials, which is appropriate in an election year, right? We, we expect that. But it's true, right? Uh, I bet you've experienced fear this week. Fear is a very normal emotion in a broken and fallen world. We have a lot to be fearful for, a lot, a lot to be anxious about. And uh, one of the things I'm, I'm thankful for is that uh, the Bible is, is not a stranger to fear. The Bible talks about fear regularly, and, and that's there, designed by God to help us to know how do, we, how do we deal with this very common, this very normal, this very ordinary, and yet very disturbing reality called anxiety or fear. In a fallen world, fears of all kinds are just normal and everyday experiences. One of my historic heroes, his name is John Flavel. Uh, He was a pastor in the 1600s, a a Puritan pastor. Uh, He wrote a a really great book. It's been sort of modernized under a new title called Triumphing Over Sinful Fear. It's a great, great work. I recommend it to you. But in that book, Flavel defines fear as the trouble or perturbation of mind from the comprehension of approaching evil or impending danger. You think, why don't we talk like that anymore? That's great, right? What what is Mr. Flavel saying? What he's saying is it's that disturbing feeling, that that tensing up inside, that rising up in your heart uh, of, of anxiety when you see impending danger or oncoming evil. That's, that's the experience of fear, and we see it even in small children. We see it in, in uh, older people as well. It's a human experience. And, and if you've noticed that, that fear has quite a spectrum, right? Uh, fear can be very mild, very, very uh, minimal. Uh, I was mentioning to the first service that uh, just a couple weeks ago I, at my church, I was watching it, walking into the, the uh, restroom there, and uh, I was immediately stopped in my tracks because there was a small creature looking up at me and um, it's the kind of small creature that has the tail with the stinger on it, common in North Texas. And uh, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to divert around Mr. Scorpion there because I don't want to get stung. 
And, uh, but that, that, that rising up in my heart, that tension, that, that immediate alertness to the danger is what we call fear. So fear can be something you know, very mild, very ordinary like that, all the way up to panic attacks, PTSD symptoms, you know, a fear that is so extreme, it's debilitating and, and makes it very difficult for you to, or, to do ordinary things in life. So, so fear is, is wide ranging in that. And uh, I've not studied this, uh, done the math myself, but I've read a number of times in reliable sources that the most common command in the Bible is what? Do not fear, do not fear, okay? So the Bible is, again, is filled with information about what is a very common human experience of fear. In fact, if if we just kind of survey the Bible, the, the Bible tells us that there's basically three types of fear, three types of fear you need to know about. The first is what we might call natural fear, right? That, that a natural fear is a rational fear of actual danger that directs us toward safety or caution. So when I walk into the bathroom, I see the scorpion, that's a natural fear because if I step on him, it's going to hurt for a long time, right? So that, that stopping, okay, danger, go around, and then I went on with my day, I didn't think anything of it, right? That's a natural fear. And that's important because that helps us to avoid actual danger and and ensure that things are safe. But as so often the case, that natural fear can morph into something that the Bible calls a sinful fear. And, and that's when sometimes natural fear, or, or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's something very irrational, actually, that becomes an occasion to distrust God or to entertain those irrational thoughts or avoid clear biblical instructions. And, and if, that, if that's the category that our fear is in, then we say that's an ungodly fear, that's a sinful fear that we want to avoid. So natural fear, right? Sinful fear. And then the third fear is what? You know the the third fear the Bible talks about? What is it? The fear of the Lord, right? A a godly fear. And the fear of the Lord, even though that that may be kind of, if you're a new Christian, that fear of the Lord might be a weird term. But but the fear of the Lord is an honoring of God, a, a love of God that directs us to think of him and to live for his glory and his smile. It's it's an expression of allegiance and love, and the Bible calls it the fear of the Lord. It's a mark of godly, mature believers. So natural fear, sinful fear, and godly fear. And maybe just as, as we're talking about this, as I'm introducing this topic to you, maybe this last week or, or this last month, maybe you've been dealing with some particular fear. Now, I couldn't help but think, seeing all those new parents up here with the new little ones. I remember back when my wife and I were in that stage, our kids are all grown now, but um, just parenting is filled with fear, isn't it? You know, I mean, there's just a thousand things that can go wrong, and and usually young moms and dads, if you were like my wife and I, they're just always constantly battling these fears, these anxieties, and then as you get older, fear doesn't go away, does it? Life gets more complicated, and now it's, I'm thinking about adult children, I'm thinking about grandchildren, I'm thinking about end-of-life issues or medical issues, and, you know, fear is a very, very common experience. Where do you tend to struggle with fear? Well, in our psalm here, Psalm 56, this is all about the topic of fear. This is one of my favorite psalms. I, I'm, it's a joy to, to present this to you today from the Word of God. And, and we have a little bit of help, actually, in terms of the background of where this psalm comes from. You notice the historic superscript there reads, a, a miktam of David. Miktam probably referred to the type of psalm that it was, the type of song. So a miktam of David, this is King David. This is uh, the man after God's own heart. Uh, we read about his life in First. 
Samuel and, and the origination of that. But notice what it says here. It says he wrote this when the Philistines seized him in Gath. And if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 to 12, <clears throat> we, we see that David in that story is fleeing the current king, Saul. He's fleeing for his life. Saul's trying to kill him, so he goes down to Gath, and, and there the Philistines meet him, and that's the story you may remember from, uh, from the Bible where he, he pretends that he's mad, he pretends that he's insane so that he can make his escape. And uh, do you remember Gath? Uh, what, what famous person in the Bible was from Gath, kids? Our young theologians, who is he? Goliath, that's right, that's right. Goliath was from Gath. So that's the story, that's the background. So David is running for his life. Saul's trying to kill him. Uh, It's at a a, a strange time in history where God has told Saul, I'm taking the kingdom from you and giving it to David. David kills Goliath and then the hearts of the people shift from Saul to David. Remember the song that the the culture was singing, the city was singing, Saul kills his thousands, but David what? His tens of thousands, right? So, so the heart of the people is moving toward David. Uh, Saul didn't like that and became jealous and began to seek David's life on a number of occasions. So this, this is, a, I say that, uh, the Bible tells us that, to just be reminded, this is serious. I mean, this is not a song about meeting a scorpion in a bathroom. This is a song about serious, life-threatening fear. And I think as we work through this psalm together, we'll have to keep moving because there's a lot here, but we're, we're gonna see a roadmap that David sets forth for us, some pursuits that we can turn to in our day of fear to find God in our fear. You guys know that every, every occasion of strong emotion in life is really just an occasion to turn to God and to find him in that moment. Those are, those are sovereignly placed by God to move our hearts toward him, and that's what we're gonna see unfold in our psalm today. And again, we, we got a bunch here, so we gotta keep going. So let's look at our first pursuit as we seek to find God in a roadmap uh, in, of, um, to find God as a roadmap of sorts to find him in our fear. The first one is this. Uh, let's turn to God for needed grace. Turn to God for needed grace. Look with me at the first couple of verses there. Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. Let's just stop right there. Um, I bet if you could go back and listen to a recording of what you sound like in fear, that this is what you're gonna sound like, right? When we're in fear, what do we do? It's details, right? You're laying there at night trying to sleep and you got fear running and, and it's this and it's that and what if this happens, that and the kids and all, right? It's, it's details. We, we feel, when we're fearing, we're thinking about the details of life and the dangers and threats that we feel come in those details and that's what David is doing here. He's telling us about his fear by doing what we do. He's giving us details. He says, man is trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled all day long. There are many who fight proudly against me. And he repeats these multiple times, even that little phrase, all the day. He repeats it a couple of times to remind us that his struggle with fear is relentless and it is chronic. This isn't an occasional struggle. This is something that was really weighing on him and would not go away. 
If you look down at verse five, we see uh, some more uh, of the threats that he was facing. Verse five says his enemies were distorting his words. They were against him for evil in their thoughts. They attack, they lurk, they watch his steps intending to take his life. And if you go back and read the story, that's exactly what's going on. Saul is plotting and planning and his people are coming after David. And and this is a big deal. It, It is an ongoing challenge as he looks at these threats. Whatever the source, whatever that danger is, that's the temptation to have that fear rise up in, in uh, our hearts. And yet, what does he do? And, and again, don't dismiss this. It's so simple. What does he do? When he's afraid, he does what? He, he turns to God for help. He says, be gracious to me, O God. This is something that even a, a small child can understand, that when fear hits the first pursuit, the way I, I find God in my fear is I turn to him first for help. In fact, that's a great question to ask yourself. When I'm dealing with fear and anxiety, what's the first place I turn? Google, right? I Google it. I, uh, I talk to a friend. Um, or maybe you don't. Maybe you pull inside, and you just live with that and feed that and fuel that and, and you're distracted. You know, your kids are talking to you, mom, and, and mom's distracted, right? Because and, and, we're just living in our head and dealing with all that. And that's a great question. Where do we turn in our day of fear? What does the autopilot of your soul do on the day of fear? Don't miss it, right? David says he turns to God for grace. He turns to God for help. Now, before we move on to our our next point here, I want you to see throughout this psalm, something really interesting happens. Uh, In fact, there are two conversations going on in this psalm. The first conversation that David talks about here is he talks about talking to God. That's what we see here, right? Be gracious to me, O God, man has trampled upon me. He's talking to God, right? But, but you need to watch this. He's going to talk to God, that's the first conversation, and then he's going to pivot and he's going to have a second conversation, not, not with his spouse, not with his kids, but he's going to have a second conversation with himself with himself. And you're going to see why this is so important when we're dealing with fear. He talks to God and then he talks to himself. He talks to God to remind himself of what's going on and to get perspective. And then he takes that and he shares that with his own heart. You'll you'll see that unfold here, okay? So as I go through this, you watch, talking to God, talking to himself, and he'll go back and forth. And I think that's very instructive for us, okay? So the first thing he's going to do, that's that first conversation. He turns to God for needed grace. Number two, second pursuit as we seek to find God in our fear it is this direct your heart to trust in God I love this the God whose word you praise direct your heart to trust in God the God whose word you praise verse 3 when I am afraid I will put my trust in you in God whose word I praise in God I put my trust I shall not be afraid now again, like the idea of turning to God, the remedy of fear, you ready for that? I'm going to give you the remedy, the biblical remedy for here, and it is so simple, it is so obvious, you're going to go, no, it's got to be more complicated than that. So we trust our Bibles. When I am afraid, what do I do? I put my trust in him. The remedy for fear is put your trust in God. You, you, say, you say, why is that important? Because this is what trust says. Trust says, I will rely on God for the danger or the threat that is coming against me right now. 
Trust says, I will rely on God for my safety, for my protection, for my well-being. I will rely on God for my kids, my health, my retirement, whatever it is, whatever that threat is, trust says this, I will trust God, I will let him take care of it. You say, why is that so important? Because trust, (laughs) let's say it like this, fear is a regular reminder of something none of us like to admit. We are not in control. Young moms and dads, I hate to tell you this, you're not in control of your kids, ultimately. We're not in control over the most important details of life. In a broken world, as fallen people in a fallen world, we, we, we try, right? We, we, we tell ourselves, and, and sometimes it's like, wow, I can do that, right? And, and then something happens, and you realize, I don't have near as much as control as I think I do. And that's why fear, guys, is so disturbing. No one likes that. No one likes to feel, I can't control this thing that I love so much and I, I value so greatly. Fear is disturbing because it's like, what am I going to do? So what do you do on the day when you realize you can't control the most important things of your life? You put your trust in the guy who is in charge of everything, right? You put your trust in God, the one who is sovereign and overall, the trustworthy God, the faithful God, the reliable God, the gracious God. You put your trust in him when we don't have control but he does. So don't miss it. It's so simple, but it, it's, it's such the issue. When we are afraid, David says, he says, I will put my trust in you. Listen to John Flavel again. Unbelief, which is the opposite of trust, right? Unbelief leaves our dearest interests and concerns in our own hands. It commits nothing to God, and consequently, it fills the heart with distracting fears when imminent danger threatens us. And, and that's why trusting yourself instead of trusting God is so important. That the most important things in life, we put in God's hands, right? And that's what faith does. That's what trust does. It's putting those things we care about in the hands of God and saying, I can't control this, but my good, kind, heavenly Father will. So I'm going to leave them there. Another thing that's interesting here, and again, you can't see it in the English, so I, I threw it on a slide here, so hopefully we can see it. Um, if you were to look at this in your Hebrew Bible, and some of your TES students, or you got your Hebrew Bible open there, so you're with us. For the, for the rest of us, uh, one of the things that happens in song and in poetry, and this is true in English poetry like Hebrew poetry, is sometimes the, the, the writer rearranges things to bring emphasis, and the writer actually uses a, a, a format here. Do you see how it kind of makes an arrow? It kind of points. Uh, we call that a chiastic structure in literature. And, and all you need to know about that is the author is rearranging things in a mirror image. You can see that when I'm afraid, I shall not be afraid. I will put my trust. In God, I put my trust. It's kind of a mirror image. You see that? The center element or what the arrow is pointing to is the author's point. It's the author's way of taking out a yellow highlighter and saying, this is the thing I'm I'm emphasizing here. And so that's important to see. It's not the, the reality of trust that David is emphasizing. It's the object of trust that he's emphasizing. As it says there, in God whose word I praise. That is the emphasis. That's the, you know, the, the arrow is pointing to the God whom we should put our trust in. Now, it's, it's interesting here, even as we think about this, notice, look back at the text, how he describes God. It's not just God, right? 
he says, in God whose word I praise. And that's kind of an interesting way to describe God. It's repeated a couple of times here, even in the chorus. And we might say this, why does David describe God like that? Well, I think he describes God as the God whose word he praises because in the day of fear, it is the word of God that is the key, right? The word of God is what shows us who God is so that we can say, oh, that's who God is. He's worthy of my trust. He's worthy of of my safety, the danger that I'm in, my my children, my family, my, my health, whatever it is, because the word shows me this reliable, faithful God, I can put my trust in him. The word reveals the character of God, right? His faithfulness, his goodness, his grace, his sovereignty, his protection. The word reveals the promises of God, the redemption of trials, his working together all things for good, the fact that he never leaves us or forsakes us. The Bible shows us his sufficiency for our contentment and joy and every other thing. We we need the word of God to inform us of who God is and what he's like and what he's promised so that we can put our trust in him. It makes you wonder, what did David have in mind here? You know, Saul's coming down on him, the Philistines are chasing him, and and what came to mind? What scriptures came to mind? And of course, we can't know for sure, but David wrote a number of psalms, and many of those psalms are filled with theology that can help us in the day of fear. For example, just listen to Psalm 16. In Psalm 16, David says this, I have set the Lord continually before me, And because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. You know that that passage? That's a great reminder. If he's there, then I don't have to fear, right? Or Psalm 27, you guys know this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear, right? If God is my light, if he's my salvation, if, if he's revealed himself and saved me, well, guess what? That means I can probably trust him for this threat that I'm dealing with right now. Or Psalm 139, another beautiful psalm. In that psalm, David writes that God has searched him and known him. He knows when he sits down and when he rises up. He knows his thoughts from afar, that there's nowhere David can flee from his presence, right? No matter where he goes, God is there. He's omnipresent, and he knows everything about David. He's omniscient, right? You can't get away from him. And David says, that knowledge is just too amazing for me, that God would care about me and know me like that. Here's a, here's a question maybe to ask yourself as you deal with fear in your own life. What does the word of God reveal about him that can help me in my fear? In fact, that might be a good little homework assignment. I'm not going to come back next Sunday and check on you or anything. But, you know, if you're dealing with fear, there's something in the word of God, his character, his promises that is put there by God to help you in your fear. So go find it this week. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Sing it. Remind yourself of it and let it bolster your view of God and his promises to help you in the day of fear. Um, The word shows me God and his promises and those truths demonstrate that he is worthy of my trust which allows me to not be afraid. You think about that. Your trust is only as strong as your view of God, right? You're not gonna trust a God that you think is pretty incapable. You're not going to trust a God that you don't think is faithful. So your trust in God is only as strong as you believe God to be. So let me ask you this question. Do you believe in a benign God or a powerful God? Do you believe in a faithful God or a God that's distant? You know, you know why I come to George every year? 
I love you guys. That's number one. You know why number two? You guys have topography like these things, hills and mountains, green pine trees. You know, Texas is brown and flat, you know. So I come out here and it's, it's great. And uh, we were out. There's all these little bridges over the creeks and waters, right? It's, it's beautiful. So let's say you look at one of those great Georgia bridges and you go, Looks kind of rickety to me. I don't know if that'll hold me up, and I don't want a, you know, an unintentional bath this morning, so I'm not going to walk across this, right? You look at the integrity of the bridge and say what? Is it going to allow me to get across safely or not? And your faith acts exactly the same way, right? If you think of God as rickety and shabby and, and unstable, well, you're not going to put your trust in him, right? Your trust is going to be weak. So we need the word of God to, to strengthen our view of God and to help him to, to see us for who he really is, his, his character, and then that strengthens our faith so that in our day of trouble, we say, my God is able to help me. I know, I know he's strong enough to help me. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Keith, is this, is the, is this we, we need to be reading our Bibles more? Yes, it is. Because your, tr- your faith, your trust can only be as strong as your view of God. And we need to know him more in the word. All right, look back at the verse there. Now we come to the chorus. You'll see this chorus repeated again in verses 10 and 11. We see it here in verse 4. Here's the chorus. In God whose word I praise, in God I put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Okay, so when I'm afraid, what am I going to do? I'm going to turn to God and then I'm gonna put my trust in him. Let's look at the third pursuit on our roadmap to find God in fear, our third pursuit. Here it is, verse four. Question your fear in light of your God. Question your fear in light of your God. End of verse four, the end of the chorus there. What can mere man do to me? Now, I want you to think about this real, real quick, okay? If you listen carefully, if you're paying attention to what happens, you will realize that your fear talks to you. Your fear talks to you. Your fear says things like this, if you don't do that, it'll never be okay. If this happens, you could never live with yourself. If this happens, you will never be happy for the rest of your life. You ever listen to your fear? Your fear talks to you. you. Your fear challenges you. I'm a biblical counselor. Your fear counsels you if you're listening. You say, why that's important? Because your fear, like my fear, will lie to you. All of our fallen emotions lie to us. And one of the favorite things they like to lie about is who God is. And what he does. Notice, what does David do here? He says, in God I'll put my trust. I shall not be afraid. Then what does he say? What can mere man do to me? What is he doing there? He's pushing back against his fear. He's challenging his feelings. He's cross-examining that threat saying, well, you know, what, what can man, you know, man's gonna do this and man's gonna do that. And he says, wait a minute. If God is here and I trust him and I know who he is and his character and promises, what is there that man can do to me? So, so he pushes back against his fear. He questions his fear. And, and I think that that's a really important ingredient to fighting fear. You fight your fear by questioning it. You fight your fear by pushing back against its arguments and against its deceptions and against all of those fallen notions that deny things in the word of God. So push back. Now I know what you're thinking. You, you read that and you go, what can mere man do to me? Well, frankly, man can do a lot. 
man can kill me, he can torture me, he can take my stuff, he can take my family, right? So, so David here is not denying that those threats aren't real. What he's saying is, listen, what he's saying is, if God really is who he says he is, if he really is sovereign and in control, if he's really good and mindful, if he's faithful to his promises, then there's nothing that can happen to me apart from the sovereign will of God. And therefore, I can trust him. And I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to let this threat or that threat or this anxiety or that anxiety. I can push back and say, God is on my side. It's gonna be okay. Are you questioning your fears? Are you pushing back against them in light of who you know your God to be? Don't give in. Push back. Fight back. Cross-examine. Is your fear feeding lies that need to be countered by the word of God? That's what David demonstrates here, and that's another really important ingredient as we seek to find God in our fear. Question your fear in light of your God. Number four, verbalize your struggles and desires to God. Verbalize your struggles and desires to God. David continues his song in verse five. All day long they distort my words. See, he's back, right? What did he do? He's talking to God, and then he's talking to himself. What can man do to me? And then he's now, he's back talking to God, right? All day long they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. Verse six, they attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited to take my life. Now watch this, verse seven. Because of wickedness, cast them forth. In anger, put down the peoples, O God. And you go, what do we do with that? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. The first thing I want you to notice, he's back to talking to God and what is he doing? He's taking his fears, he's taking his concerns, he's taking his struggles, he's taking his desires and what does he do? Let's put him in Google AI and see what Google's. No, no, that's not what he does. What does he do? He goes to God. Again, he goes to God with those fears. He turns to God. He turns back to converse with God. And that's so important. We see him engaging God in conversation, turning to God in prayerful pleas. You, you say, why is, why is that so important? Well, I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling with fear and anxiety, one of the big temptations that I have is to kind of withdraw I don't really want to be around people. I, don't, I just kind of, kind of pull away. And in fact, if I'm not careful, I get in my head and I'm just replaying those fears, replaying those scenarios, right? Playing it all out. What if this happens? What if that happens? And, and, and what that reminds us of, guys, is that fear can be very, very isolating. And maybe you've seen this, right? You know, no one understands. No one gets it, you know? And so you just kind of pull in. And, and can, I just, can I just plea with you? That is spiritually dangerous, when we pull away from godly relationships, when we pull and we're just sort of thinking inside and especially when we pull away from God and we need to be talking to him. So, so David demonstrates here that though fear is very isolating and we can be tempted to just bottle up our fears and, and dwell on our own fallen emotions, that what we need to do is turn to God and talk to him and, and not let that stay there but instead continue to take our requests and our pleas to God. But, but, I mean, we saw that in verse one. I want to show you another interesting part of this, though. How does he take his request to God? How do he do it? Is he just praying? No, he wrote a song about it. He wrote music about it. And I think it, it, is, it is 
theologically significant. I, I think it is exegetically significant as a part of what we're supposed to get, not just from this psalm, but from the book of Psalms, that God seems to have designed poetry and music to help us both express our emotions to God, but also to receive his graces in the moment of struggle. Music does that. If you've noticed this, music and poetry allow us to express things about what's going on inside of us that just prose and normal conversation don't do very well with. And and so David models for us how music can be a way that we take our requests to God. And and maybe, uh, maybe that's something for you to consider. And not only that, as is demonstrated in the psalm, music is a way that we receive the graces of God for help. You say, you say, what's the takeaway? You need to have a playlist. You need a playlist called When I'm Afraid. And you're going to put on that playlist those songs that probably many of you already have, those theologically robust songs that are excellent musically, that when you're dealing with fear or you're dealing with anxiety, that song reminds you of who God is. It reminds you of his character and his promises. It helps you express those struggles to God. And at the same time, it reminds you of his graces to help you. I mean, go on Darby's Spotify channel, download some of his hymns, it's great, great way to start, and, and then add some Getty and some City of Light and some Matt Boswell, whoever you like, but, but build a playlist so that when you're struggling, you have a way to express those things to God, but also to receive his graces back. And that's what, that's what the Psalms tell us. The Psalms are modeling the need to do that. Well, verse seven is, is one of those kind of fly in the ointment here, right? Well, what is that? Because in, in Psalm seven, or in verse seven here, David calls to, for, to God to cast for his enemies and put them down, right? And we go, uh, what do we do with that? This is what we call an imprecatory line. And there are, so, there are whole imprecatory psalms where the whole psalm is like this. In this case, it's just a line. You say, what's imprecatory? Imprecatory is a psalm or a line that calls for the judgment or in some cases even the destruction of the author's enemies. And uh, that probably makes you uncomfortable like it makes me uncomfortable. So let's talk about that just for a minute. Remember, David was told by God that Saul, that he was removing Saul as king and giving the kingdom to David. And that was part of God's uh, plan and promise. David knew that, Saul knew that. So maybe, maybe what's happening here is David simply telling God, simply asking God, will you do what I know you promised you would do, right? And maybe that's it. Or maybe, and we, we can't know for sure, maybe David is doing probably what you've done. I know I've done it. In a moment of really strong emotion, especially fear, and that is I've said some ungodly things. I've made some ungodly requests. You know, you know not everything in the Bible is something we're supposed to emulate. Do you know that? Right? We, we, we need those, those directive portions of Scripture to let us know. Is that a good example to follow or a bad example to follow? So again, we don't know for sure. It could be a, a godly request for God to simply do what he had promised David, or maybe David is like you and me, and he's struggling, and in his fear, he just says, take the threat away. We don't know. But what, is, what we do know and what is good and something we should follow is that David isn't bottling up his fear. He's turning to God. He's taking his fear to God. He's engaging in dialogue and he's engaging him in song and music. And I think that is a great practice when fear comes upon us. 
Let's look at the next pursuit. The next pursuit to find God in our fear, it is this in verse eight, recognize God, God's detailed attention to your trials and suffering. Recognize God's detailed attention to your trials and suffering. Look with me at verse eight. You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? One of the things that's hard to see in a moment of fear is it is very hard to see God clearly and accurately. And what David does here, he does something, this is unmatched in scripture, he pulls the curtain back and David demonstrates to us just how much God cares about us, just how much God is with us. I mean, think of that. When you're anxious, when you're fear, and it's so overwhelming, you're crying, you're, you're... What is the value of one tear that you shed in your fear? What's the value of that? God says it's valuable enough to preserve, to preserve it. God is is said here by David, he's taken account of my wanderings. God knows everything about us, the struggles, the fears, He's put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God is saying through David, do you understand how much I care about what you're going through? I know those sleepless nights. I know those tears. I know those challenges. I know those anxieties. And I'm paying attention. I'm I'm paying such close attention, God says, that I'm preserving those tears, so to speak, in his bottle. It's God's way of saying, I know And will you remember that I care about you? I care about you, even down to something as detailed as a tear that we shed. Now, when fear and anxiety hit us, we're tempted to believe all sorts of misguided ideas about God. Have you noticed that? Strong emotion, fear, depression, anxiety. We are prone to believe deceptive and inaccurate ideas about God. What are some of those things? God doesn't care about me. He isn't there. He's out to get us. And one temptation, especially in fear, is to believe that he is not aware of our struggles, or maybe he's aware, but he just doesn't care. Maybe you felt like that. You know, no one understands, even God. God doesn't get this. He doesn't, he doesn't understand. He must not care about me or my child or, or my, my mom and dad or my financial crisis, my, my health. God must not care. And that's why this verse is here. It's a reminder that he does care. He is there. He is mindful. And, and he's there to help you. And just like David pushes back against the lies of his fears, we need to remember that we need to be very, very careful to not believe the blasphemous pictures that our fallen motions a paint of God in our struggle with fear. So be careful, be careful. And, and, and these, these beautiful verses remind us that God is mindful of us. He's taken account of our wanderings. He's put his, our tears in his bottle. Are they not in your book? And then that leads up to the climax, right? And this is interesting, even the, the way songs are constructed uh, this is true in a lot of Western music. It, it's, it's true in the way David constructs this psalm. Often the climax of the song is as it's ramping up to the final rendition of the chorus. And you can go home and, 
pull up your playlist and, and pay attention there and see if that's true. I went to my playlist. I was like, man, that's really true. The climax of the psalm is often as you're getting to that final chorus, right? And that's exactly what happens here. Right before the chorus of verse 10, David hits the climax of the psalm. What's the climax? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. For this I know, that God is for me. On your notes there, remind yourself that God is for you. Remind yourself that God is for you. That's our next point. This is the climax. The song has been building to this point. And, and, and this, this is really the, the, the spotlight. This is what David wants us to see right here, uh, that God is for him. Uh, we see him, interesting, dialoguing with God and then dialoguing with himself, right? Remember, there's two conversations going on here. He's talking to God and he's talking to himself. He's just gone. He says, God, you've taken account of my wanderings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And he says, and then he turns back to that second conversation. He looks at himself and he says, soul, this I know that God is for me. And he preaches that message to his own soul, his own heart, This I know that God is for me. In fact, you you can't see in the English, uh, there's a verb form used here that emphasizes the certainty of his knowing. David says, I know this for sure. God's on my team. Or better yet, I'm on his team, right? He's for me. And uh, what does that make you think of in the New Testament? That was your cue. What does this this, uh, make you think of in the New Testament? Romans chapter eight, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? The Apostle Paul writing that to the Roman Christians and it makes you wonder, was Paul doing his quiet time in Psalm 56 that morning, right? And he had that, but, but, but think about that. David says that, God is for me. He's living in the 10th century. He only has part of the full revelation that, that you and I have in, in totality in the whole of Scripture. David could only look forward to to Jesus, right? The the great son of God coming and taking on a human flesh to live and die and rise again in our place. Why? To reconcile us to God. So not that we're just, you know, on his team, like a team member, although that's true, but Romans 8 goes on to say what? God adopts us into his family and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That's the gospel message, that you and I can be reconciled to God and become part of God's family if we will turn from our sin and put our faith and trust in the Son of God who, who loved us and lived and died and rose again for us. And so we, on this side of the cross, we have even more help, more reason to say if God is for us, who can be against us? Because we know God didn't even spare his own son for us. So when we're afraid, what do we do? We remind ourselves that God is for us. He is there. He knows. He cares. And he's for us. And and yes, are those threats of of fear real? Sure they are. A lot of times. You say, how can I be okay if that threat is real? Answer, because God is for us. That's our That's our climax there. And that goes right into the rendition of the chorus. Look at verse 10. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. So the chorus is repeated. Our next pursuit here, repeat your praise of your father's word. Repeat your praise of your father's word. The chorus is repeated. And it's interesting here, why is the chorus repeated? You say, because that's what songs do, Pastor Keith. Songs have a repeated chorus. Yeah, but why do songs have a chorus that repeats? Because that's that's the big idea. That's the point. That's the goal. That's what we're supposed to remember. That's when you're, you wake up in the morning. What comes to mind? That song that you wake up with, the chorus of the song. 
And what the Bible writer wants us to see here, what David wants us to see is that when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I put my trust, I shall not be afraid, what can man do to me? That chorus is what he wants us to remember, and it's repeated here. You say, why? Because if you're fighting fear, you don't need that chorus once. (laughs) You need that chorus on repeat, right? You need that chorus over and over and over again. See, fear doesn't flee when we turn to God one time. Fear is drowned by the continual repetition of praise coming from your heart to God over the riches of his word. It's true, the word of God reminds us of the character of God and the promises of God, and that allows us to push back against our fear and to trust him. But notice, he doesn't just say, trust the God of the Bible. He says what? Trust the God whose word you, whose word you, Okay, three of you got it. That's awesome. Whose word you praise. Because it's not just the remembering of the word of God, it's praising him for what you know about him in the word that pushes back your fear. It's praising him that is the antidote to sinful fear. The continual repetition of praise from your heart to God over the riches of his word. That's what does it. Just like Paul tells us in Philippians, thankful prayer is what crowds out anxiety, so ongoing praise is what strangles the life of your fear. You say, that sounds too, too, easy, too good to be true. Just try it. It's really hard to be fearing if you're too busy praising God. It's very, very practical. And that's what David is saying. Repeat it. Keep on praising. Keep on uh, meditating on who God is and then praise him for it. You can't fear if you're too busy praising God for his steadfast character and his reliable promises. And it's interesting, just like in modern music, the chorus is tweaked a little bit. Did you notice the change? In God whose word I praise, and then he adds it, in Yahweh, in the Lord whose word I praise. Of course, that, when you see that word Lord in capital letters, that references the, the personal name of God, Yahweh, you say, why is that there? Because that name represented the faithfulness of God to keep his promises. And I think David adds it there because in our day of fear, isn't that what we need? In our day of fear, we need to know God is going to be faithful to do what he said he's going to do. That's who Yahweh is. His name reminds us that he is that faithful God. Look at the next pursuit. Renew your trust and do not fear. Renew your trust and do not fear. Rechallenge your heart. We're getting some repetition here. Again, that's what songs do. But look at verse 11. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? The chorus continues, right? The God whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do? do to me. Again, notice, notice the wisdom of what we're learning here. I talk to God, I talk to myself. I remind myself talking to God who he is and what he's done, and then I preach that to my soul, and that allows me to push back against my fear and walk in praise. And he repeats that here to remind us we need two dialogues, don't we? Two conversations in fear, talking to God and then talking to yourself. So we do that, right? You must, you must engage the lies of your fear. You must be active, right? You can't be passive or fear wins. Be active in praising and meditating and turning and pushing back. You must be active. We counter the poisonous lies of fear with sweet truths of God and his ways in a dialogue of praise to him. And you say, uh, Pastor Keith, um, 
this sounds kind of exhausting. Like, like I've got to, right, there's a lot of work. How long do I have to do this? You know, think about God, remember him, talk to him, talk to myself, push back. How long do I do that? Answer, till your fear goes away. You keep on praising, you keep on looking, you keep on meditating, you keep on conversing until praise replaces your fear, until the turbulence inside is replaced with a quiet heart of humble joy. Last one, last verse here, verse 12. Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Our last pursuit, publicize your thanks for your father's deliverance. Publicize your thanks for your father's deliverance. Now we know, both historically, because you can keep reading in 1 Samuel, and just practically, because David has given us this Psalm 56, that he did survive this incident, didn't he? God chose to deliver him from the threats of Saul and the Philistines and his other enemies. And here, David gives thanks to God for that, for that deliverance. But what's amazing about this, and don't miss this, don't think, okay, God took his fear away, so now he praises God. If, if that's your takeaway, you've missed the point. David didn't start praising God when he was delivered. When did he start praising God? All the way back when the threat was still real, right? When the threat was still pressing on him. So the praise doesn't start here, it culminates here. And then David says something that's different than anything else he says. He says, I'm not just praising God. It says here that he goes and he offers a thank offering. You say, what's a thank offering? You can go back in Exodus and read about it. But a thank offering was a public way to declare your thanks to God. And I think that's our takeaway. Whether God takes away the danger behind your fear or not, in in David's case he did, but whether he takes away that danger or not, it is right to publicize your thanks that God has helped you in your day of fear. Um, If God has helped you, if God has ministered to you in a day of fear, if he's delivered you from a real threat, if he's rescued you on a day of anxiety, can I plead with you? Don't be quiet about it. Tell your friends, tell your family, sing a song and let everyone around you know how great and faithful your and my God is when he delivers us. That's what the community of faith does, right? We share with one another, we sing to one another, we we declare his deliverances to one another so that our faith collectively is bolstered in this great and faithful God who delivers us from all our fears. Has God helped you? Don't be quiet about it talk about it, praise him in front of others. Uh, Pastor Shane mentioned my, uh, my other historic hero, John Newton. Listen to Newton. When I think of my heart, of the world, of the powers of darkness, what cause of continual fear, right? He lived in the same world we did. I am on the enemy's ground. I cannot move but a step, but some snare is spread for my feet. But when I think of the person, the grace, the power, the care, and the faithfulness of my Savior. Why may I not say, I will trust, I will not be afraid, for the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Newton says this, I wish to be delivered from an anxious and unbelieving fear which weakens my hands and disquiets my heart. I wish to increase in a humble jealousy and distrust of myself and of everything about me. 
I am imperfect in both respects, but I hope my desire is to him who has promised to do all things for me. That's how we need to pray on a day of fear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have these promises and reminders from your word. We thank you that we have men of old like Flavel and Newton to spur us on in the way. Thank you that you are a faithful God. Thank you that you are with us, especially in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as a a member of your family. And uh, we thank you that though fears are real and threats are legitimate, we can draw near to you and say, you are with me and so all will be well. Father, would you remind us of these things? Build us up. Help us to praise you and encourage one another that we might walk in faith and not in fear. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.